Hey guys, you are listening to a bonus edition of the Dirty Sheets. This is going to be a free show, as promised, where I touch on the Vince McMahon situation and also look back at the Raw Rumble. Doing this a couple of days late, I have been jet-lagged as fuck. Um, Accidentally fell asleep as soon as I got off my flight. Decided then to take a weed gummy, thinking that as I'd um, slept during the day, that it was going to fuck up my night's sleep. So the only way to get back to sleep was to take a weed gummy. This shit knocked me out for 16 hours. So I ended up waking up at the same time as I woke up from the afternoon nap that I wasn't supposed to have. So essentially, I landed in the afternoon, fell asleep, and woke up about six o'clock in the evening, thought, shit, I've slept for the afternoon, decided then to stay awake for a little bit, watch some soccer games, then took the weed gummy, and then woke up again at six o'clock the next day. So I ended up going to sleep on this shit for 18 hours. So yeah, completely fucked up my sleep pattern, completely fucked up my body, um just trying to really get back on track. And usually this isn't a problem for me, especially when you're on the East Coast. West Coast can be a problem, but it was just on that particular day, got a weird flight home so that my son could go straight back to school to minimise the number of days he took off. And um, in the end, it was me who ended up falling asleep in the afternoon. And it was me who tried to make sure I slept at night by taking a weed gummy And it was me who ended up sleeping for 18 hours and is still on a really fucked up sleep pattern, which has resulted in this show happening on Thursday as opposed to Tuesday when I wanted to do it, when I wanted to look back on Raw. In fact, it was actually watching Raw to put me to to sleep. Didn't think it was a good Raw. Didn't think it was a good Raw Rumble. And that's me being honest as someone that was there. Always, we, we tend to have a sense of bias if we've gone to something because obviously... There's a financial investment there, especially if you come from the UK and you want to feel like you got your money's worth. You don't want to feel like you wasted money or wasted time. But it's hard to really be honest and say that that was one of the better Raw Rumbles. Um, Obviously, we went in with a four-match card. That put a lot of pressure on everything that was on the show because... When you go in with a four-match card, you're essentially saying that this is the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme. We're going to give you two excellent matches. We're going to give you two excellent memorable rumbles. We don't need to fill this with this match or that match because what we have is going to be so good that we are going to dedicate all the time to it. And it puts every single match under pressure. And I felt that the first two matches delivered on that. The, the women's Royal Rumble was one of the better women's Royal Rumbles. I think that when it was going down, 
when 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 things were sort of going down and the crowd interest wasn't as high, we had a good person come out or we had a good spot or we had a good um, elimination or we had Chelsea Greens carrying parts of the Raw Rumble. So I thought that was good. I thought it was well booked. Um, was concerned when Bailey came out at number three how they were going to do that because it meant that nobody was going to really have that that diesel cane spot in the rumble, which is always difficult when you don't have somebody dominating the early periods and then you have sort of the, the winner coming out in the middle. That's always a more difficult rumble to book when you have somebody who has to stay for the whole thing. But they managed to navigate that. I thought they were going to navigate that by having damage control in there and just double teaming and triple teaming people throughout. But they got rid of Oscar and Kyrie Zane quite early on in the match. So they went down a different route to what I thought they were going down at the start. Um, but in the end, it was it was an entertaining rumble. They managed to navigate around that. They managed to make the people look good that they wanted to make look good, such as uh, Nia Jax, who's probably going for a title in an next match. She's probably going to challenge Rhea Ripley. And, of course, uh, Jay Cargill. Uh, Naomi as well returned, had a good run in the rumble. So, yeah, I thought it was... Well done. Um, it was hard really to not notice the fact that some of the women aren't over at all. And I noticed that in both the men's and the women's rumble. And it's something that I'm going to talk to Cav about because I think it's not really a good sign for the future. And I'll, and I'll touch on it quickly um, because it is a point that I think needs to be discussed back and forth. But my takeaway from both the rumbles is that I don't think that Triple H is this big star maker that Vince was. And obviously Vince lost some of his magic touch towards the end. There's no arguing that. And the last major star to be created by Vince McMahon was probably John Cena. And John Cena was somebody who got himself over as Vince didn't initially see anything in him. Whilst Vince himself was largely guilty for a lot of the stuff that didn't work when he wanted to create Roman Reigns as his next big babyface star. Ultimately, Roman Reigns ended up getting over as big as he's ever got as a heel when he turned heel and, and went in a different direction after all Vince's attempts failed. I mean, he even came back from leukemia and he still wasn't the number one babyface in the company, which is probably the most babyface thing that you can do. So I don't think Vince is flawless, but I do think he has more star-creating credibility than Triple H, who is pretty much just booking wrestlers as wrestlers and hasn't really had a huge success story as of yet since he's been involved with the creative process, which in his defense only started in August 2022. But at this moment in time, I would still say that I would have more confidence in Vince finding the the next big star that's going to carry the company. When you just look at the way that Vince kind of conducts himself, and I'm obviously going to get to Vince later on and talk about how he has conducted himself, shall we say, um, over the past few years and maybe even throughout his entire tenure. We just don't know what's going to come out at this juncture. But um, when you look back at the Beyond the Mat documentary, I don't know if you guys have seen it, and we look at Vince in his office and the way that he pitches what is essentially a mid-card, even a lower mid-card character like uh, Darren Drawsdorf, Draws. And he does the whole puke thing and he acts it out himself and he really puts himself inside the character. And it's a passion towards character development that I don't think Paul Levesque, Triple H has. 
I don't think that he is a character-driven person. And I don't think that, um, that we currently have the creative people around him who are going to develop these characters. Now, let's give him his due. Since Triple H has been involved in creative, we have had more long-term storytelling that has led to higher highs. Some great payoffs, some big moments, particularly when you're looking at the bloodline, the turn of Sami Zayn, the turn of uh, Jay Uso, Kevin Owens saving Sami Zayn from, from the bloodline. We then had them winning the tag titles. We've then had the elevation of Rhea Ripley and the crowning of Rhea Ripley at last year's WrestleMania. So we have had some high spots, but we also had a lot of characters that were Triple H projects that have fallen short. When you're looking at Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Karrion Cross, a lot of the women are not over, which was noticeable in the Rumble, and a lot of the men weren't over, which is noticeable in the number, weren't noticeable in the Rumble, which is worrying because the reason I'm talking about that next big star is because when you look at the Shield, who were instantly groomed for success, they were supposed to carry the baton and they were supposed to carry us into the next era of WWE. And arguably they have done, but we still had John Cena, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Undertaker, Triple H, and we were at the end of Shawn Michaels' career at that point. So we still had stars that we were familiar with. So whilst we lost some Attitude Era stars, then the Attitude Era stars that remained carried us into the Ruthless Aggression Era and introduced us to John Cena, Batista and Randy Orton. And then whilst Undertaker, Randy Orton, John Cena and on and off Batista remained with the WWE and then also we had the rise of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, we were then introduced to The Shield. So we had visibility on The Shield because we still had stars there to draw us in. Now, I understand if you're listening to a wrestling podcast and um, you're very much a part of the core audience, then it doesn't matter if you have Cena, Michaels, Undertaker, Triple H, Bryan, CM Punk. It doesn't matter who you have because WWE is WWE and you will watch Raw and you will watch SmackDown and you've always watched it and you'll watch it until you die because you are part of the hardcore core audience and it doesn't matter. But what about those half million to a million people that determine whether a rating is successful or not successful? Because we know that Raw is going to do a minimum each and every week of um, 1.2 million people. Let's say that's the, that's the floor for Raw. We know that's the core audience. The difference between Raw being successful and hitting 2 million people or Raw being unsuccessful and going under a million and a half people is how many of those half million to 1 million people that they can get. Same for SmackDown. Um, even, even more relevant for AEW because they have a core audience of around about half a million people and their success is massively determined by those additional half a million people. And they rarely get it because they rarely have anything that those half a million people are interested in because Tony Khan doesn't know how to book for the masses. WWE do know to a large extent how to book through for the masses in terms of setting up those big highlight moments, which has kind of been the signature of Triple H's time. Um, but we didn't have those highlight moments at this Raw Rumble. 
Um, unlike last year's Royal Rumble where we had the turning of Sammy, we didn't really have that big moment other than the two winners winning the Royal Rumble. We had Roman retaining, we had Logan Paul winning via DQ, but we don't have any kind of lasting moment coming out of this Rumble. We also didn't have any real interesting spots in the men's Royal Rumble because it was filled with a lot of guys who simply haven't got over. And the biggest concern to me is, is that are we going to have a casual audience that sticks around for them to get over? Because whereas before, the, the branch to the shield, as I mentioned, was Cena, Undertaker, CM Punk. What is the shield, uh, sorry, what is the branch to watching the next crop of superstars? Because once we lose Becky Lynch, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and to a lesser extent, Seth Rollins, because I don't consider to I don't consider Seth Rollins to be the same level of star as the likes of uh, Cena, Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar. So I don't think that he's any kind of hook for the casual audience. But let's say that he is, and let's say that he goes with his wife. Then we are left with Cody Rhodes. And Cody Rhodes looks like he's going to be the man who dethrones Roman Reigns. Now, is Cody Rhodes somebody who's going to draw in a casual audience where you're going to turn around and say, I must watch Cody Rhodes. I must tune in to watch Cody Rhodes. And whilst you're watching Cody Rhodes, your eyes are diverted to Carmella Hayes and Bron Breaker and whoever comes through from NXT and whoever WWE signed from wherever. Is Cody Rhodes going to be the main event superstar that makes you continue watching a level of star such as Brock Lesnar, The Undertaker, John Cena, is he going to be that draw that pulls in a casual audience and whilst that casual audience is there, they are suddenly interested, oh, well, who's this guy Gunther? What's he doing? Oh, hey, who's this guy Carmelo Hayes? Oh, who's this guy Bron Breaker? Oh, he's Scott Steiner, uh, sorry, Rick Steiner's son. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, think I, I think I like that guy. I think he's going to keep me watching wrestling. Is, is, is Cody Rose going to do that the way that Roman Reigns has done that, the way that John Cena's done that? I'd be largely concerned, massively concerned about that if I was WWE planning ahead for the next three to five years because I don't see the people who are going to take over from John Cena and Roman Reigns in your roster at the moment and I just don't think it's going to be Cody Rhodes and that's not Cody Rhodes' hate. Um, it's understandable if it was because I didn't want Cody Rhodes to win this Rumble. I've been very open about not being particularly interested in finishing the story and whatever that may mean. But ultimately, that's the direction that we're going in. And I'm going to do a news bit later on in the week as to why we might be going in that direction. I already touched on, on it in a previous news bit saying that it was looking very unlikely that The Rock was actually going to do WrestleMania 40 now. Previously, I reported that was the direction, but it turned out that the, the reason not to do it became bigger than the reason to do it. And that was a very simple reason that the WWE are finding it very difficult how to navigate The Rock's television time because they did not want to hand The Rock over to Fox. And Fox was the most logical destination to build up the match between The Rock and Roman Reigns because the Roman Reigns title reign has happened on Fox. He is a SmackDown superstar. And for The Rock to become the head of the table and to challenge Roman Reigns, he would have to be spending his time on Fox, which would be absolutely an absolutely pointless investment for the WWE because The Rock is going to be appearing on Fox. 
The WWE have no relationship with Fox. They're staying on with the USA Network because SmackDown is moving to USA and Raw is moving over to Netflix. But The Rock would have no visibility on Netflix building up this Roman Reigns match and he would have no visibility on a remaining partner like the USA Network because you could not build the match up on Raw. And that was a huge problem to the WWE. Do they solely build the match up on Raw and find a way for Roman Reigns to start appearing on Raw? If you do that, not only is that going to upset Fox and make you look unprofessional, it's also going to upset a number of your sponsors who already buy sponsorship over on Fox as part of the WWE. So in a week where they've already upset a number of sponsors with the Vince McMahon situation, with Slim Jim pulling out and then being given reinsurances to pull back, to come back in, Netflix giving reinsurances that Vince McMahon was going to go just days after they signed a massive $5 billion deal. WWE are not in a position now where they're going to upset more sponsors and the sponsors on Fox would be upset by the fact that they should be getting The Rock, which makes logical sense, but suddenly they're not getting The Rock because they found a reason to prioritise the USA Network when it doesn't really make sense when Roman Reigns is a SmackDown drafted superstar and Roman Reigns' title defence at WrestleMania should be built up logically on Fox, a partner that WWE logically have no reason to appease. So that was the main obstacle and hurdle that they, that they could not overcome. And it does make a lot more sense to to do it on Netflix. But then again, when we come to next year, will there be another another hurdle if WrestleMania is actually booked to go ahead in Minnesota? Because is Minnesota a big enough state for you to give The Rock to Minnesota? Is there enough commercial opportunities there as opposed to being in Philadelphia, which is obviously very close to New York. It's a huge market for The Rock to be appearing in. Last year, we we're in Los Angeles. That was another huge market for The Rock to be appearing in. And suddenly, you move across to Minnesota, and things don't look as appealing if that's going to be the destination for WrestleMania 41. So it's all very interesting as to whether we are ever going to see this match. But at the moment, it looks like um, very much that we're going to see the, the, the story being finished instead with Cody Rhodes taking on Roman Reigns in the main event of night two of WrestleMania off the back of winning what I felt was like a disappointing Royal Rumble. The disappointment continued on Monday night when um, CM Punk announced that he was injured, which means we've now lost the main event of night one, which could potentially mean that we lose a lot of people who are planning to go to WrestleMania. I've seen the narrative out there a lot. People bought tickets thinking that they were going to see CM Punk on one night and The Rock on the other. And now you've lost the two biggest draws to WrestleMania, which again highlights my point. Are the WWE going to be in trouble in three to five years when they don't have these hooks anymore? Because The Rock and CM Punk and Roman Reigns and John Cena and Brock Lesnar aren't going to be doing matches for you in five years you are going to need these new guys to draw. And you're going to need the new guys to draw at a level where they make you put visibility on the even newer guys. And is Cody Rhodes a big enough star to make you watch him and stay tuned long enough to put your eyes on the new stars? Netflix obviously thinks so, but Netflix also have a way out of their contract after five years. If things are going well, they can extend for a further 10. If things are going badly, they can pull out in five. So it'd be very interesting to see what happens there. In my opinion, whilst that Netflix deal is going on, I believe that it's it's possible 
that you may see The Rock not only wrestling at WrestleMania 41, but 42, 43 and 44 as well in order to stabilise that Netflix deal and to ensure that there is a 10-year extension added to it. And don't forget, during this time, there's also going to be a re-extension or a renegotiation of the Saudi deal as well. Is The Rock going to be a key part of that as well? Is The Rock going to actually go and wrestle in Saudi Arabia? So um, we're going to move on from the business side of things, move on from the WrestleMania, move on from the Royal Rumble, because I don't want to run out of um, conversation. I do want to save something for me and Cav to talk about, get his thoughts on the Royal Rumble. And we're going to do a Friday version of the Dirty Sheets tomorrow. But instead, we're going to change things up. We're going to go over on YouTube. Our YouTube channel's pretty dead because we don't really put any content out on there. The idea was for us to do... 15 to 20 minutes every single week on YouTube, answer some questions, promote what we're going to talk about behind the Dirty Sheets paywall, whether it be addition of the Dirty Sheets or whether it be an addition of the Wrestling Informer, but we've not really got around to that. So we want to get back onto the YouTube thing, but um, before we release our little free clips every single week, we're going to release an entirely free show. On this show, we're going to talk about the Royal Rumble situation and we're going to talk collectively about the Vince McMahon situation, which I'm going to talk about individually right now because I've been teasing it for a few days. And I've really been doing that because I wanted to collect my thoughts because everybody else, or at least these wrestling podcasts, these kind of um, very stern and very woke wrestling podcasts, these politically correct podcasts, have all kind of been talking about how despicable Vince is. And um, I even heard Eric Bischoff burying Vince on, on his podcast, calling him evil, saying he's a very evil axe. Um, I'm not sure that they are. Um, and I haven't been able to really come to any conclusion that says that Vince McMahon is evil and that this was despicable beyond belief. And yeah, it's, it's not nice. It's not normal. I'm not I'm not normalizing anything here that's been done, but to say that it's evil and despicable, I myself haven't arrived at that conclusion. So let me kind of tell you where I'm at um myself, and then I'll sort of go back and forth with Cab tomorrow. So for me, um the general reaction to this among the people that I've spoken to has been a comedic one. And that's not to say that I only know massively horrible and evil people. Because obviously that's going to be the perception. Oh, of course, everybody you know found it funny because you're a prick and your friends are pricks. Yeah, that's what people are going to turn around and say. Or maybe my friends aren't the woke mob that's suddenly taken over wrestling and makes up for the current crop of pussified wrestling fans that make up the core of wrestling fans and make up that core of the wrestling community that cry about everything on the internet and want to cancel everybody, even though this man has not been proven to be guilty. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he's fucking guilty because it sounds like exactly the type of things that I would associate with Vince McMahon throughout the years of watching wrestling. Like, I look at this story and think, what the fuck do you expect? which is probably what the people that I talked to expected as well, which is probably why there's a comedic element to this entire thing. It's not shocking. It's not a big surprise. It's, it is Vince McMahon. It's not too far removed from the Vince McMahon TV character that we saw. I mean, you can literally find a skit 
with him and Hulk Hogan dressed as Captain America, where he's calling Vince McMahon a pervert. And since then, that 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 particular segment has gone massively viral, and it's not surprising. And anybody that knows wrestling or has watched it for the last 20, 30 years, and anybody that knows Vince McMahon, you should probably not be massively surprised by this. And you shouldn't be surprised either if you have any knowledge about rich and wealthy men. Because when you are rich and wealthy or famous, and you can get women continuously, it does become it does there does become a time where there is an element of boredom that sets in. Now, if you're guys that are just sitting there who are struggling just to get with one woman and have probably only slept with two or three women your whole life, or maybe you're virgins, you're probably not going to know what the fuck I'm talking about. But trust me, when men can have whatever they want when it comes to women, there will be an element of boredom that sets in. Now, I myself have experienced this at some kind of level. I, I did go on to Big Brother. When I did Big Brother at the time, it was the number one TV show in my country. And what also aided me, aided me in terms of if this is what I wanted to do, it wasn't difficult for me to do in terms of behaving in this way. Because the demographic for Big Brother was largely women from 18 to 35 years old. And what do you know? Magically, when I went out, I was surrounded by women 18 to 35 years old. Because when you go to a nightclub, that vicinity is occupied by women who predominantly watch Big Brother. So it was the perfect mix for me because nearly every single woman that, that I saw when I went out recognised me from TV, which made it very, very easy to get laid, too easy. And suddenly you saw the situation, you saw extremes kind of creeping into the situation because it wasn't enough just to take one girl home. It became taking two girls home. It became sleeping with a girl in the afternoon from, from the social media. Um, there was a girl in the afternoon. There was a girl before I went out. There was a girl after I went out. There might be two girls at a time. There may be more extreme sex acts because obviously you wanted to heighten things because as I said, sleeping with just one girl at the end of the night became boring and you just became more and more and more and more. Now, I'd never crossed the line of actually shitting on someone or or degrading somebody to the point where Vince McMahon did. But as I said, this was my level. And Vince McMahon has been doing this for years and years and years and years. And he's probably at a completely different level that I've reached. And, and who's to know what level I would have reached if I'd gone to a higher level of fame, if I'd been a multimillionaire, if I'd stayed on television for 25 years, if I'd gone to Hollywood. Who knows what the Hollywood people are into? Because apparently they're into killing children and drinking their blood. Whether you believe that or not is up to you. But, you know, there's theories out there that think that that's how far things go for them. So obviously there are there are extreme extreme levels depending on your fame and your and your access to people. Now obviously Vince McMahon has had a, had a, has had a lot of access to women. He's got a ton of money and he has been relevant for years and years and years, almost five decades at this point for Vince of being at the height of his fame. So he's probably extremely bored of standardized sex. And we know that the richer men get, the more that they are into this kind of thing, the more weirder their tastes get. They like they, they like to move on to... Um, because look, I mean, I'll give you an example. It's never the poor men who want to be dominated. 
It's never the poor men who want to get their balls crushed, who are into whips and chains and bondage, because historically that isn't the case. It's always the rich men that have these strange, weird fetishes where they want to go that far and they want to be dressed up in bondage gear and they want to be dominated and they want to be fucked themselves with a, with a woman wearing a strap on. That's never, ever poor men who are into normal sex and are looking to go to nightclubs and have sex with, with, with women at the end of the night and just go home with a girl. Like, that's never those men. It's always men who have taken things to the next extreme because their, their money or their privilege or their fame have, have opened doors for them where standardised sex is not enough. So for me, knowing the level of fame that Vince has had and combined with the money that he's had, there's no, there's no way that this guy was ever going to be into standard sex. He was always going to be into weird shit. In addition to that, Vince McMahon is, isn't somebody who's going to bow down to wokeness. Now, over the past five to ten years, we have all been suffocated by this woke bubble by the fact that we have to play by these rules. We have to have affirmative hires. We have to hire black people. We have to hire women. We have to, we have to bow down to um, Black History Month or, or Latino History Month or, or wave these rainbow flags and all this kind of bullshit. We've all been suffocated by this shit. And he's involved in a corporate environment where his shareholders and whatnot are expected uh, and are expecting him to bow down to wokeness. And if you know the personality of Vince McMahon and you know the type of person that he's been and you look at the product that WWE have put out and have gone against authority for years and years and years until obviously it didn't make dollars and cents sense, um, you'll know that it would have been killing Vince McMahon to have to do this to his company. You knew that it killed him to go woke. Obviously, the money was great, but internally, you know, Vincent Mann was probably hurting, especially when you're seeing these people criticizing his product and saying, oh, this is boring and this is shit and this isn't as good as it used to be and this isn't as good as the Attitude Era, whilst he's handcuffed and having to deliver this, this product and having to answer to his corporate sponsors in order to fulfill his fiduciary responsibility. Like, you know that's probably killing him, yet behind the scenes... This is still a man who fucks his secretary because he's probably been fucking his secretary for his entire life. And that's probably what he's been doing. If it's not his secretary, he's probably been fucking his employees or, or whoever. You know that behind the scenes, Vince McMahon doesn't have to be the Vince McMahon that has to answer to his shareholders. So in the face of wokeness, where we're told that we have to hire these people or hire these people or push these people. And without this, I don't think we would ever see Big E and Kofi Kingston as WWE champions because, quite frankly, they were both fucking embarrassing. And I'll throw Jinder Mahal under that, under that, um, in, under that category as well, just so we can have somebody brown there for me to criticise so it doesn't seem like it's racist or, you know, because we're always very, very openly chucking around the racist tags and the homophobic tags. And, and I've always said, listen, I'll take that on the chin all day. I'll be transphobic. I'll be homophobic. I'll be racist by 2024 standards. Because by 2024 standards, everybody is a homophobic racist. So it doesn't bother me. You can throw that accusation at me all day long. I couldn't give a fuck. Um, but for Vince McMahon... 
having to go woke and having to kind of adhere to these new age rules that everybody's had to adhere to, anybody with a company, anybody who's in that kind of corporate field, behind the scenes, he wasn't going woke at all. Whilst he had to obviously hire a female secretary, and I don't think he had to make this hire. If you go and read up on the circumstances behind it, it wasn't something that Vince had to do. But obviously, he saw it as an opportunity and he took full advantage of the opportunity. Vince McMahon behind the scenes was still Vince McMahon, who has been that version of Vince McMahon probably since he took over the WWE and WWF and bought it off his dad. This is probably the the man-child, Vince McMahon, that's probably existed the whole time. And whilst he had to be this other version of Vince behind the scenes, sorry, not behind the scenes, this is behind the scenes, whilst he had to be this other version of Vince McMahon in front of his corporate shareholders, behind the scenes, his release was to be the Vince McMahon that he's always been, for better, for worse. But I'm not going to sit here and knock it. As somebody who hates wokeness, and to see somebody quite literally take a shit on woke culture, I'm not going to sit here and bury the guy and and take shots at him like everybody else done. I'm also not going to sit here and say that he deserves to be cancelled and forget about the fact that he's the reason that we have wrestling in the first place. Same as Hulk Hogan. I wasn't the guy to bury Hulk Hogan and I never will be. And I'm not going to be the guy to bury Vince McMahon either because you have to look at it from this 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 other side as well. This woman wasn't complaining either. This woman was quite happy to take the money, quite happy to take the gifts. This woman was quite happy to consent to the entire situation until suddenly Vince McMahon wasn't the top dog in the WWE. And she saw another way to give herself yet another massive payout after receiving these huge salary payouts already, receiving all of these additional gifts consenting to all of these acts for however long they carried on for. Now, suddenly, she's the victim and wants to be sued. Yet, she didn't choose to do any of this until now and went along with it and participated in all of these acts and took all of these gifts and took this huge salary and all of these advantages until now when she decided to come forward, play the victim and will now be taking another payout. And she's not the only one playing victim. Why don't we have a look at some of the comments from the ex-WWE divas, um, comments from Maria, comments from Tori Wilson, um, even Ronda Rousey's got in on the action and are now suddenly being critical of the WWE and, and how they were made to do things whilst they were there. Yet nobody spoke, spoke out for years. In fact, didn't Tori allow herself to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame recently and didn't say anything about that? So... There's hypocrisy all over the place, as there always is when it comes to women. Women are notoriously hypocritical, which is why it's hard to to side with them and why I'm taking a very, very open-minded approach to it. Like I said, when we discuss things with Cav, maybe he'll see things from a different standpoint, but I'm not ready to throw Vince McMahon under the bus. Do I think it happened? Yeah, fuck yeah, of course it happened. But do I think that he deserves to be cancelled and is he evil and does he, deserve, does he deserve jail time? No, I don't because I do think there was a high level of consent and did Vince McMahon want to do ridiculous, disgusting things? Yes, he did. Is that normal for a man in his position who's a multi, multi 
billionaire who can have whatever he wants in a lot in life and whose sexual expectations are very very different to mine and yours yes it is normal it might not seem normal to you and maybe shitting on someone is crossing some kind of imaginary line that you've set for yourself but for me it isn't that big of a surprise. I wasn't massively surprised by anything I saw. Did I find it funny? Yes. Did the people I discussed it with find it funny? Yes. But maybe that's because that's what we've grown to expect from Vince McMahon. That's probably our familiarity with the character. And if you don't have that familiarity with the character, are you really a wrestling fan? And when did you actually start watching wrestling? Um, so that's probably my somewhat controversial take on the matter, um, obviously, 99% of people who do wrestling podcasts are not going to agree with me. And I'm not condoning what Vince McMahon did or anything. Um, as I said, I, I don't think it's like a great thing to do. Um, I laughed only from the only from the on the perspective of, oh, my God, that is just so Vince McMahon. That's why I laughed. And in all honesty, I don't even think there's a need to defend why I laughed. My reaction was my reaction, and it was a reaction echoed by everyone I spoke to about it, and it was also a reaction echoed by many on the internet, as we saw a lot of memes and videos shared, because it was Vince McMahon. At the end of the day, um, there hasn't really been a rape here. Um, there certainly hasn't been a murder. And if nobody's been raped and nobody's been murdered, and what we really have here is a situation as to whether this woman was manipulated into this situation or whether she consented into the situation. And I lean towards consent because there's no way that it would have gone on for this long and it would have got that graphic and there would have been an exchanging of gifts and holidays and, and money um, if there hadn't have been consent. So whilst I don't think that Vince McMahon will get out of this if it does go any further in court, I don't think it's going to reach that, that part of the process. I don't think it's going to get past deposition. I do believe there'll be an out-of-court settlement. I think that obviously the WWE higher-ups will be desperate for it. And to be honest with you, I think that this woman will be desperate for it too. Because this is really only being done to milk as much money and as pub and much money and publicity out of the situation as possible. Um, for me, I think the publicity side of things is a little bit strange because at some point you would imagine that this woman is gonna want to be somebody's wife. You're gonna imagine that she's gonna want to be someone's kids, and her Google search is always going to be this, and this is going to be right at the top. So I don't know how much money is actually going to be worth being having this as your top Google search. But at the end of the day, um, by making this as public as possible as it is at this point, allows you the opportunity to make maximum money for it. Because if you just try to settle this behind closed doors, you would have got a smaller amount of money. Now we are looking at maximum settlement and I don't think it benefits her for it to go to deposition. Um, it obviously doesn't benefit the WWE. A big court case doesn't, rep doesn't benefit anybody either and therefore I think she's going to get what she wants and the WWE are going to get what they want and um, there's going to be a settlement and it's going to be absolutely 
massive. It would not surprise me to see um, this woman getting herself an eight-figure settlement from this whole situation, which was her end goal. So is she really a victim? Is she a victim who went along with this for many years, was giving gifts, holidays, pay rises, um, consented to the, situa the situation, allowed her pictures to be taken, and has now come forward when Vince McMahon isn't the top dog at the WWE any longer. Um, the timing of it all seems to be a little bit strange. But as I said, that is my take on this situation. It won't be agreed with with many other wrestling podcasts. But um, when do we ever agree with the other wrestling podcasts? So that's it for me and this free edition of The Dirty Sheets. I'll be on YouTube tomorrow with Cav. And we'll be talking about all of the same topics. We'll obviously go more in depth. We'll talk about the Royal Rumble in depth. We'll talk about the future of WrestleMania in depth, obviously, with the, the card now losing The Rock and losing CM Punk, two of the main draws for many people who bought tickets. Does WrestleMania still appeal to you? Who is going to replace CM Punk in the main event on night one? Because we know it's not going to be Rollins and and. A Cody, even though that was teased this week on Raw. So who is going to replace CM Punk as the opponent for Seth Rollins? And can Seth Rollins still main event night one against anybody else other than CM Punk? Or does he lose that spot to his own wife as she looks set to take on Rhea Ripley? And we'll also talk about this Vince McMahon situation as well. Until then, thanks for listening.